Just before his arrest, Jesus took Peter, James, and John into the Garden of Gethsemane and asked them to stay and keep watch with him. Then Jesus went a little beyond them, fell on his face, and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In the garden, Jesus prayed three times. As he prayed, he drew on God's strength. Three times he went to his disciples and asked them to keep watch with him. They were willing, but each time he returned, he found them sleeping. Join us today as I interview Professor Timothy Seleska of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. The topic, The Suffering of Christ, Its Meaning for You and Your Family. This is Kay Meyer, President of Family Shield Ministries and your host for today's Family Shield program. With me in the studio is is Professor Timothy Seleska. Thank you for joining us today. Good to be here, Kay. Oh, I'm gr- it's great. It's me. great to have you. I, I'm thrilled to have you in the studio because so many times I'm doing interviews by phone, and it's just nice to see a face and be able to pray before the, before the uh, program begins. Tell our listeners about your family. Yeah, I've been married since 1982, and we have three children. My youngest is now a senior in college, hard to believe. Um, so she's just turned 21 in January. Uh, my oldest daughter and her husband live out in California in uh, the Venice Beach area. And my son lives here in St. Louis. He's an actuary uh, in Clayton. And I just we just became grandparents for the oh, first time in did. January. Congratulations. Yeah, Becky and Ryan had a little baby boy, Samuel, and he's so cute. Oh, that's wonderful. Uh, we're going to go broke on airfare. <laughs> yes. Uh, Where are they? Yeah, yeah, I understand. Ours, ours are in Austin. That, yeah. that does make a difference. Yeah. Well, blessings on Thank your you. family. That's great. Families are wonderful. And, and again, you know, Family Shield is about families, but it's also about God's word and the gospel. Uh, let's talk about the suffering of Jesus Christ. I began just with a, an example, uh, but you can talk uh, any, you teach this, <laughs> you teach this. So uh, you, you probably have all kinds of thoughts that I didn't even think about. Well, yeah, I don't know about that, but uh, probably not that. I teach Old Testament. Okay. And actually, one of the favorite things I teach is the Psalms. And um, if you remember, one of the key kind of notes or themes in the Psalms are these Psalms of lament. Um, and when you think about the story of the Passion, Christ's suffering, uh, remember how large certain Psalms loom in that story. So, for example, the big one, of course, is Psalm 22, um, which begins, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So remember, that was uh, one of Jesus' last words on the cross before he died. And um, the reference in Psalm 22 to um, the people casting lots for his clothes, remember, is in there and the people mocking him. So there's a number of references there. Psalm 69 is another one that's reflected uh, in the story of the Passion. And uh, I guess the listeners then, as you kind of think about, okay, why is that? Why are is the account of Jesus' Passion reflect so much in on the book of Psalms in particular, but also other passages from the Old Testament, prophets, um, and even Israel's experience in uh, the um, 
wanderings in the wilderness and its years, you know, uh, in Canaan, those kinds of, of events that we read, we see reflected. And, and remember, one of the things that the New Testament authors are always careful to point out is that Jesus' death wasn't just an accident or um, something that maybe was unexpected, but that the events in, in Jesus' passion and his suffering, his death, and especially his resurrection— all were foretold in various ways and at various times in the Old Testament. And so when the New Testament authors were writing the story, um, they made those connections for us so that we could see that uh, Jesus' story is uh, really the key point of the larger story that begins already way back in the Old Testament with creation, but then especially with the covenant that God made to his people Israel in the book of Genesis and how he began to fulfill that through the rest of the pages of the Old Testament, finally culminating in Jesus' death and resurrection. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it was no accident. It was God's plan from the very beginning. Yes, and uh, it's interesting because I was just reading, I read especially Matthew this morning and then uh, partially the accounts in Mark and Luke. Um, and you will see, if you start reading like at chapter 21 with, um, you know, when you start reading with um Palm Sunday, the entrance to Jerusalem, and all those events. <laughs> it was as if Jesus was deliberately talking to the leaders to get them angry enough to kill him. I mean, remember, he, he continually um, undermines their authority, questions their authority, and in Matthew especially, has those woe to you, you scribes and Pharisees. Mm -hmm. That's kind of terrible things. Mm -hmm. um, so over and over again, you can see that the way he spoke and the way he acted um, was all part of this larger plan and purpose um, to carry out the redemption of his people. But now, when I began the program, I talked about his prayer, Yes. because Jesus was both true God and true man at the same time. And in that prayer, he said, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, mm -hmm. me yet not as I will, but as you will. So was he knowing Jesus knew what was ahead, uh, was he hoping that this cup, this suffering, this death that was before him could be taken away, do you think, that verse? What does that verse mean? Good Lutheran question. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, um, it's hard for us to know everything that was in Jesus' mind. Uh, one thing that maybe people don't realize is that he uses that terminology, let this cup pass from me, I think, deliberately, because in the prophets, remember, there is this image of the cup of God's wrath being poured out on Israel. Um, you see that in a number of places um, because of their sinfulness, uh, because of their continued disobedience, God's wrath is going to be poured out or they're going to drink the cup of God's wrath. So we have to remember, okay, the first thing you want to ask yourself is why in the world would Jesus use this kind of language, this particular phrase. And one suggestion then is because he wants to remind us, and we should always keep in mind when we're reading, trying to read the significance of what happened to Jesus, that Jesus is Israel reduced to one, in that the promises that God made to Israel were fulfilled in Christ. So Paul says all the promises of God uh, in Christ are yes and amen. So um, on the cross... It's not only that Jesus suffered the physical pains of the crucifixion, which was bad enough, but remember God also poured out his wrath on him so that he suffered 
the wrath of God, not for his own sins, but for ours. And, um, you know, Paul makes a big point of that when he was crucified for our offenses and raised again for our justification, he says. And so Jesus was not only aware of the physical pain that he was going to undergo, but also that kind of spiritual separation that is, again, reflected oh, in those sure. words, my God, my God, why have you yeah. forsaken me? Yeah. That In that mysterious way that we, our minds, really can't humanly understand, kind of a huge mystery, his own father forsook him on the cross, abandoned him, so to speak. And he, so that when he was made sin to be for us, I mean, we should think about what that is because we see the results of it in Christ's crucifixion. That's the kind of experience I think that Jesus is already anticipating here. Okay. He, he knows. Again, how did he suffer? Tell us some of the ways Scripture tells us he suffered for our sins, besides the physical suffering that you always that you already talked about. Oh, right, right. Well, I mean, you know the um, kind of humiliation that he underwent during his trial and the crucifixion. People mocked him, um, scourged him, beat him, uh, the pain of the crucifixion itself. Um, and then, the uh, again, the um, language reflected in the Psalms and in the Old Testament, and Job, remember, when he was undergoing his sufferings, he talks about suffering the terrors of God. And Martin Luther talks about that as well, that the true suffering is that kind of a spiritual experience, that that feeling lost and condemned for your sins and knowing uh, the terror of um, standing before God and accountable for your sins is a kind of experience that uh, that we would say is part of the alien work of the Holy Spirit, that God is the one who gives us that kind of experience. And the Psalms also talk about that. It's, a, in a sense, a kind of a death, a killing of uh, all the um, self-righteousness in you, the thinking that you can save yourself, that you're good enough, that all is kind of put to death in order to raise to new life the um, new man in you, which... Um, trusts only in the Lord and mm -hmm. not in yourself. It's that kind of death and resurrection as we recognize our sin and repent of it and then cling to God alone in faith that the psalmists and Job as well, when they realize their hopelessness and they abandon all self-confidence um, and then through the Holy Spirit put their trust in God. So it is. A, so when we talk about conversion, we're talking about a real turning. It's not just cognitive, um, but it is whole person, affective as well, that the Holy Spirit works in us. So Jesus, in his own f suffering and death, suffered physically but also spiritual death in the sense that God abandoned him mm -hmm. and then was brought to new life in the resurrection. That was, that's what makes the resurrection such a glorious thing for us, that his Father did not abandon him forever. Right. Three days later, he rose, he rose from, from the, the dead. dead. And that's what we're going to be celebrating in a couple of weeks mm -hmm. with Easter. And we right. wanted this to be our Easter special. Um, you talked a little bit earlier about some of the things that Jesus said from the cross when he was hanging there. Um, and there are numerous things, but one thing that a lot of times people misunderstand is what he meant when, it said, when he said, it is finished. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the it Jesus was talking about? <laughs> Oh, that's, well, I mean, I could give you the, I'll, 
fancy Greek stuff, so I'll talk about that a little. It's the the Greek word is tetelestai, um, and evidently that was the word when a bill was paid in full that would be written at the bottom of the bill. So when Jesus says it is finished, um, we normally understand that to mean that uh, the price had been paid in full, that Jesus had made uh, the satisfaction uh, for our sins, okay? Um, it was at an end. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, I know my husband said he always thought years ago it meant Jesus' suffering was over. Uh, but that's not, I mean, a lot of times people right. don't get the fact that Jesus came to suffer and die for yeah. our sins so that we could have forgiveness and everlasting life. Yeah, right. And um, and that is what he meant when he said that. Right. And, and it's important that we share that. Let me make a few announcements, and then we'll sure. continue talking about this important topic and also how we apply it to our own families and ourselves first and then our families. Today, Family Shield is giving away the booklet, Live the Six, Being an Everyday Missionary. To request a complimentary copy, call the Family Shield Response Center, 1-877-250-8416, or email us at witness2family at gmail.com. Please make sure you give us your complete name and address when you call or write. The Family Shield radio program airs on more than 50 radio stations each week throughout the United States and is also available through our podcast. We are a listener-supported ministry. We invite your prayers and support. If you'd like to support us, send a gift to Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. You can also donate on our website at www.familyshieldministries.com. Why not put Family Shield Ministries into your will or estate? Most people want to give the majority of their assets to their family, but many also put a favorite nonprofit ministry into their estate to receive 5 or 10% of it. Family Shield's estate program is entitled Generations Legacy. Your gift will allow us to continue the ministries for many generations and beyond your lifetime. For more information, contact us at witness2family at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening to Family Shield and for your prayers. Learn more again at www.familyshieldministries.com. This is Kay Meyer, host for today's Family Shield program. Thanks for listening. I want to go back to my guest, Professor Timothy Seleska, and uh, we want to talk just briefly about Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. You uh, are a professor there, and uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the seminary. What's its mission? Sure. The mission is um, to um, serve God's people in both the church and the world uh, by training pastors, deaconesses, and other theological leaders um, so that we can be faithful proclaimers of God's word to people across cultural boundaries, across uh, age, all those kinds of lines that people draw. That's great. I would guess there's some of our listeners out there that are thinking mm-hmm. about becoming right. a pastor, and they want 
to be trained, mm-hmm. and this is a great place to be trained, how could they learn more about the different opportunities through Oh, I think uh, the easy way is to go to our website, um, and you can you know Google that. Uh, it's csl.edu, um, and the website then will direct you to the admissions, give you the admissions numbers, and uh, other numbers that you'll need to kind of get that process started. Um, People should also know that besides the program that trains people to be pastors or deaconesses within the Lutheran Church, we do have a graduate program. So you can get a master's uh, in theology if you're interested in that, and you do not have to be a Lutheran for that. Um, We take people of all different um, Christian uh, denominations and both men and women. And we also have, if you want to study even higher, a PhD. So that's open for people who maybe not want to be a minister but want more theological training uh, so that they can serve as teachers in their church or deacons or something like that. All right, wonderful. And again, that's Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Correct. And there are two Concordia seminaries, and uh, we would uh, let people know the other is in Fort Wayne. But when you do that Google, make sure you find the St. Louis one. That's right. I want to thank Concordia Seminary for underwriting today's program. Oh, that's great. wonderful for us, and it's a good partnership for us to help promote what they're doing yeah, and have uh, someone like you be our guest. That's oh, awesome. You. That's awesome. Well, we're going to continue talking about the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Um, let's just go on. Um, I'm not sure if you – did you have anything else to share about Jesus as he was on the cross? You know, we can talk a little bit about the resurrection, but um, – I don't think so. I think, you know, as you're contemplating the significance of that, um, you, passages from the Old Testament come to mind, especially if you're interested. A passage like Isaiah 53 would be a good one to look at if you're interested in kind of meditating on the story and, and looking at its connections. Um, Isaiah 53 is a good one to help us gain some insight as to... Um, the significance of what Christ did there. Um, some of the words in Isaiah remind us that he was like a lamb led to the slaughter and that he didn't open his mouth and um, that through the sprinkling of his blood, many were justified. Um, so you have that kind of language that that hooks up well with the story of Jesus' uh, suffering and death. I've already mentioned Psalm 22, which would be another great Old Testament passage to reflect on. Also, remember in the New Testament, then you have both the the gospel accounts of Jesus' passion and death, and then you also have the epistles, which uh, give reflection on the significance of what Jesus' death means for us. So, um, in addition to those Old Testament passages I talked about, if you're interested in, in reading something in the New Testament, read the epistles. For example, the first uh, five or six chapters of Romans would be a very good section to look at to see how Paul talks about what uh, Jesus' death was all about. And he'll connect it with uh, the history of Israel in the Old Testament as well and then talk about its significance. And so with by linking the um, parts of Scripture together, we get a perspective on his death 
uh, within the pages of uh, the Bible itself that can enrich our understanding and the depth of our knowledge about the gospel, which is a mystery, finally, that is so deep we kind of can't get our minds around all of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's great. Now, um, we've talked about the suffering and death of Christ. Uh, well, we just <clears throat> barely got up to the death of Christ, but we talked about its meaning. Um, before we go on to the resurrection, how do we apply this to ourselves, in our, especially our family? How do we help uh, uh, help? We understand it through study, but what about our families? What do we do? How do you share that with your own children and now your okay. grandchild? Well, I would think, I think, I can tell you a lot of stories about that. But we have to remember that the Christian faith is not a faith that at its center is a, is a new morality or a moral kind of religion. At, at the center of our faith is Jesus, this story of the Son of God who gave his life for us, and it is through him that our Lord offers us the richness of the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And so when we contemplate that sacrifice and what it means for our families, we have to remember that our families at the center should be Jesus and the forgiveness of sins and not a moral code, a moral way of living um, so that the greatest thing that uh, families can think about and the way they operate is to not only talk about the forgiveness of sins, they need to do that, but actually show it in their actions. So, for example, it's so easy for a parent to hold grudges against certain children. It's so easy for parents to play favorites with one child over another, you know, very damaging things. It's so easy for family members to speak in cruel ways to each other, things that build up and create hard spots in the heart. So the question is, how do you get rid of all that junk? How can you ever, you know, and you see family after family after family that's broken or dysfunctional because of things that happened in the past, and they keep repeating those same kinds of sins. And my contention is it's this great gift of forgiveness that is offered in the gospel that heals. The Holy Spirit actually heals so that you can get beyond your sins and get away from those kinds of things. Um, So that the greatest thing you can say to your child is, I forgive you, and practice it in then the way that you um, treat them. And the way that uh, if if someone makes a mistake, you don't keep bringing it up or holding them against them. Just like when when Jesus, God nailed all those things to the cross, um, Paul says that Jesus triumphed over them. Um, he was the vic- victor over them so that he no longer holds those things against us. Why would we do that to our children? Or why as children would we do that for our parents? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of things that happened in my own life and the life of our children that I can share with you. I don't know if we have We probably time. don't have time. Okay. I wish we did. Yeah, we yeah. used to have an but, hour. This is. But if you're yeah. thinking about... You know, it's so easy for Christianity to become a, a religion of law, of oh, proper behavior, very much so, yeah. of, yeah. oh, this will help me, or of, oh, this will help me in my life, uh, and it's all about being a better person. It's not. It's about Jesus. We mm-hmm. are poor, broken sinners, and it's the one thing that the Holy Spirit can give us that actually heals us. Yes, I agree. As a reconciler for the LCMS, I agree. Forgiveness heals, and, yes. and, the, and Jesus came to heal us. 
by offering that forgiveness and eternal right. life to us, to every person. We have about three minutes left. What else do you want to share? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I would want to share, too, that when we're talking about Christ's death, um, that his resurrection was a physical resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, he showed that to his disciples in numerous ways, and that's the big point that Paul wants to make in 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ actually rose from the dead. And so the Christian hope is not merely this uh, hope that, oh, we're going to die and our souls are going to be in heaven. That's only a faded kind of picture. The real Christian hope is that we are actually going to rise from the dead, that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And that's just a much more radical picture. Um, and it's, it's one thing, that, one that we often forget. You don't hear it preached much at funerals. But, you know, the Apostles' Creed says, I believe in the resurrection from the dead, oh. all right, and the life in the world to come. So the, the glories of the resurrection, uh, remember, are given to us personally already when we're baptized. That's why Paul says in Romans 6, we are buried with Christ and then raised with him through baptism. So baptism is not some magical thing. It's actually God's word or promise, sign that he has actually chosen us uh, to experience what Christ experienced, the death of the old man and resurrection of the new, see? So as Christians, in our daily lives of repentance, we put away the old and embrace the new. We daily rise to new life. And so death and resurrection is our daily experience. It's the experience given us in baptism, and it's actually going to be um, our uh, experience at the end of time when, when God raises us from the dead. And that's really what we want to take away from what Christians um, commemorate this week. Mm-hmm. And so Easter is coming, and we say he has risen. He has risen indeed. indeed. Not just, um, he didn't just go back to being um, God because he was true God and true man, but he is, as you said, physical. He is true man and true God in heaven still, and that's just mm-hmm. not something that people understand. Right. Uh, but, but he is because they touched his hands. He was really Jesus, right. the man, uh, also true right. God. That's right. Oh, what an awesome, awesome thing. It <laughs> is. Think it's about an that. awesome thing. And it's we unbelievable, often, really, but I, it's true. Because, we often shortchange the, yeah. shortchange the Christian faith, and we forget what is all about the resurrection. And that's where our hope is. And uh, in this veil of tears, it seems hard to know, but that's the promise of God. Yeah. And we... And we, uh, Family Shield, proclaims that gospel message, Jesus Christ suffered and died for you, for me, and for every person in the whole world, not just those that have committed their lives to Christ, but every person. Our time is up. My guest has been uh, Professor Tim Seleska of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. This is Kay Meyer with Family Shield. Remember, Jesus suffered and died for you. He didn't stay in the grave. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is, uh, again, Kay Meyer. You can learn more about Family Shield at www.familyshieldministries.com and Concordia Seminary St. Louis by looking up their website. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. You've been listening to Family Shield, a production of Family Shield Ministries. Its mission is to educate and equip people through the power of the gospel to know Christ, grow in His Word, and to strengthen individuals and their families. 
to learn how you can obtain resources or support the ministry, go to www.familyshieldministries.com or write Family Shield Ministries, P.O. Box 230015, St. Louis, Missouri, 63123. And tune in again next week for Family Shield.